0: The Open Source Creative Podcast, Episode 6, The Blender Market and the Dreaded Commercialization of Open Source Tools. This is the Open Source Creative Podcast, a podcast where I ramble on about creativity, process, and open source software during my work commute. You know how in the last episode I talked about having a, a kind of structure appro- structural approach to the show where... One, show, one episode would be technical, and another would be creative, and business, and so on. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it turns out that this very next episode, I've thrown that notion right out the window. Instead, I'm responding to an issue that was raised by a couple people on Twitter, specifically the Blender market, but generally the, the, the notion of selling things as it pertains to open source tools, how it affects the culture, if it affects the culture, and if it makes sense from a business perspective. And, of course, there's news and, and and just me rambling about things as well, because yeah, that's what I do. This is also the third time I've recorded the episode, so sorry it's a day late, and I explain why in the show. And, uh, actually, in that vein, I'd like to thank David McSween on Twitter for providing a few audio processing tips to me to help sweeten the sound a, a bit and make my uh, excited moments in the podcast, slightly less jarring on your ears. So, uh, if it's an improvement, definitely let me know. If it if I made it suck, tell me that too. Oh, and one final thing: uh, at the end of the show, I, I briefly mentioned Andrew Peel's Fluid Designer fork of Blender, and I realized I never explained what that actually is. Quick version: it's a fork of Blender that's specifically tailored to help people who do architectural vis- visualization, uh, particularly as it relates to interiors, and de- definitely worth checking out. As always, if there's something I say that strikes a chord, or makes you angry, or makes you happy, or makes you... If it somehow makes you indifferent, I definitely want to know how that works. But <laughs> in any case, uh, you can make a comment on it on the podcast section of my website. That would be com slash podcast. Or... You can track me down. I'm Jason Van Gumster, and I'm on whichever your favorite social media website is. I'm there. Just look for Monster Java Guns, and, uh, yeah, come tell me what you think of the show. Yeah, that's it. Let's get this show going. Whee! Oh, we're going to toast marshmallows, are we? Good day. Hi there, and welcome to the Open Source Creative Podcast, take three. (laughs) Yeah, in case you didn't know this, this is the third take of me recording this podcast in its entirety, actually, because, um, yeah, I got myself a new mic, and it's a nice microphone, but apparently there's uh, an impedance mismatch between it and my tablet and it just led to really really horrible audio quality and i I couldn't justify and i couldn't clean it up and post with processing and i couldn't justify uh just editing it and telling you to deal with it until i figure something better out so that means i get to record it three three times hopefully this is the last one uh if, if it isn't i'm gonna freak out but but ultimately i'll have a solution for that but in the meantime I'm, I'm back to the old way i'm back to my my sort of cheap crappy earbud and you record so that's my my recording app on my tablet eventually i'm gonna get a little bit better gear but this will just have to do but for the people who responded to me uh, related to my my woes with microphones and audio processing thank you, I really do appreciate it so, on to news let's start with PTV, actually not a, not a huge piece of news, they just have a nice article on how much has happened with PTV related to, PTV is a, a video editing uh, program, in case you're, you didn't know that, and they, they have a nice article on, on the sort of development updates that that's been happening to it over the course of the summer and um it's pretty it's pretty exciting stuff and and, uh, it's got good promise i'm just it's just in general moving slower than i would like we we have a a we have a surprisingly large number of inadequate (laughs) video editing tools on in the open source toolbox i'll say and uh I would I would like for that to be resolved I mean I' I've, I've used every open source edit, every open source tool there is for for video editing and while while many of them are serviceable none of them quite hit the mark where I would like them to so yeah I'm, I've got pretty high hopes for for PTV and I I'll I will continue to have high hopes and because I it's a tool I would like to have working well for me but but at the same time there's other other software having things Synfig Studio for example has a release candidate out for 0.64.2 Synfig is a 2d animation suite and it's actually pretty cool imagine taking taking flash and removing all of the interactive bits for it and just having the vector animation components for it, and that's pretty much what you get when you have Synfig, and it's a, it's a pretty robust tool. And uh, they, they have a release candidate out. Of particular note for those of you who are on Mac OS, Synfig now doesn't require X11 while you're in Mac OS, so you can run it natively, which is a kind of a, it's it's, a, it's a nice progress for them. So download their release candidate, test it out, and report bugs if you come across them. Also blender 2.72 is now officially out so if you're a blender head go out and get that and enjoy the 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 new happiness and stability of, of the latest release of blender so that's new in other news we have the um there's an article on actually there's two bits of news there's 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 an article on opensource.com and a podcast episode on Hacker Public Radio. Hacker Public Radio is a community podcast, so it's it's kind of cool. It's if you if you want to record a podcast, you don't have a host for it, and, and or want to set up the whole infrastructure, you record your podcast, send it to them, it gets uploaded, and gets listened to. Which means that some of some of the episodes, of course, are a bit hit or miss. I mean, some of them aren't particularly interesting, at least not to me. But, but there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of I'll say gold in there and uh, this this particular episode was was one of those examples so the 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 article on, and there, it's not related to the article open opensource.com, but open is basically a sort of a bird's eye perspective on on doing ebook publishing using open source tools and, and how you would go about doing that and so that that's a, it's it's a you know, it's a, it's a fairly in-depth art. It's a, I'll say a, a, a deep-ish article. And then the, um, the, the Hacker Public Radio episode gets a bit into the nuts and bolts of this one, one guy, and I, I, I forget, you know, after recording this episode for three times, you think I'd get your name right by now, but I forget, I forget, um, the guy's name, but he goes in, goes through his process of writing his novel in plain text, converting that to XHTML by way of licks. And then pulling that into Sigil for fi- for a final pass on formatting, which is a lot of steps and a little bit convoluted. And I, it either points to a hole in his particular workflow, or I'm, what I'm more fearful of is that there's a hole in, in sort of the ebook production pipeline on the uh, when it comes to open source tools. And my guess is that the latter is more true than anything else. And I mean, there's that outside on the same exists on. The, the, the proprietary side as well. I mean, outside of Scrivener and, and maybe what you can do in InDesign, you know, the, the process by which you get from book to to or from from manuscript or draft and whatever you're writing to, to ebook is it's kind of voodoo black magic, if you will. It actually got me thinking. I write my stuff using LibreOffice, and it 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 does pretty well, and I, and I enjoy writing in it but but i i'm i i i see a great appeal in writing in plain text uh, not only from a from a version control standpoint and a sort of a a future proof standpoint because it's no matter what formats and stuff crop up in the future you're pretty much always going to be, be able to read a text file so there's there's a strong argument for that so like the the idea struck me that especially if you're going towards towards ebooks you could probably write your book using markdown as a syntax and get to an ebook pretty quickly especially since there are, are already you know web even web-based markdown process uh, parsers that can translate that directly to XHTML so since the EPUB, the EPUB format is basically XHTML in stands to reason that if, especially if you're if you're doing more of a of a fiction piece that doesn't have a lot of complex figures and tables and stuff like that, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to use Markdown to do it. There's just not a really cool, the only downside to Markdown, and I mean, the, the reason why this also appeals to me is when I do screenwriting, I use the Fountain I.O. format. So I'm, I write screenplays in, in, VR, in VIM, GVIM actually, and then when I want a PDF of the final output, I I, I take that Fountain I.O. syntax, open it in Trelby And then I get a PDF out from there, and the exact same thing could be done process-wise, but instead of fountain I/O to Trellby, you could do Markdown through some other program, maybe native to Sigil, which is a uh, program that the 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 guy in the HPR article, a HPR episode talks about. If Sigil could support Markdown, yeah, I mean you're done. You know that gives you that step. So. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to change any of the current projects I'm on because I don't want to change the midstream while in the middle of it because that's just a pain in my ass. But perhaps on the next next book thing that I write, maybe I'll I'll explore this this idea that I've got here. Well, we'll, we'll see. The last bit of news is: can I can I can I refer to this as, as Adobe's fuck up? Yes, I will. So here's, here's a story. I, I came across this on the digitalreader.com, I think. Eh, search for it. I'll, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But short version is Adobe Digital Editions 4, which is their e-reader software. It has become discovered that Digital Editions 4 does a couple things that are a little, I don't want to say unethical, but uh, suspicious. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go with suspicious. I, I won't, I won't jump into the the unethical boat just yet. So, Adobe Digital Editions 3 already had some problems that people didn't like because they they supported a lot of DRM things that that really just made things. Uh, one is a problem for people who who have objections, like moral objections to, to DRM. But uh, whenever DRM gets introduced, it always it's always it always becomes a hassle. So there are people who already didn't like digital editions three but now in digital editions four some other things are happening so one of the things is that digital editions four dials home to adobe and sends back statistics on on what you're reading that in and of itself not necessarily a big deal almost every commercial e-reader software does something along these lines where for whatever ebooks you've downloaded through their system you it, it sends back Statistics about you know what page you stopped reading on, how long it took you to finish reading a book, and and those sort of things, and almost without a doubt, every commercially reading software does that. So that in and of itself, not necessarily surprising, and not a super huge big deal because only because precedent's been set. I mean, I don't have a, I'm not a huge fan of it, but there's not a whole lot you can do about that, and and I mean the what would be nice is if i if if i as as a as a as a writer whatnot would have access to that information so i can i can better serve my audience but you know amazon adobe barnes and noble that inform they're they're not necessarily sharing that information they probably never will and and so it's not while that information is being collected is is not particularly nefarious in its own right Uh, What they do with it is if they're gonna collect the information. I I almost feel like they should they should uh, do more do better With what they do with it or be more transparent about what they do with it So there's that but that's again, that's not a big deal the bigger deal However, with with digital for 4 is that it does two other things that are, are one's one's a security problem and the other one is a boneheaded move that is also a security problem, so well, one's a privacy problem, and one's a security problem. That's that's dressed up like a like a like a boneheaded move. There we go. That's a better way of saying it. So the the privacy problem is that Digital Editions Four goes beyond just the the eBooks that you've downloaded through their system. It actually tr- trolls through your hard drive for all eBooks, any eBooks that you have, for whatever reading system that you've got, and sends that information back to Adobe. So Adobe knows everything you're reading, digitally speaking, and that's a pretty big issue, privacy-wise. And 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 I'll I'll get into more on that once after I finish explaining explaining the story. And then all right. So the the third bit or the the second concerning bit to this is not only are they they trolling through your hard drive with for everything you've got, but. When that sends that information back to Adobe, they send it back plain text, clear text. It's just you know anybody sniffing network traffic automatically knows everything Adobe knows about what you are reading. So all of your private information, yeah, yeah, it, it's in context. It's it's just books. I'm putting i putting that in air quotes, but but for everything you're 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 doing there is is being transmitted in plain text which is just stupid i i I will say this much it's a mixed blessing uh, because had it been encrypted we'd never know what adobe was dialing what what digital editions was dialing home and sending to adobe it could be anything on your it could be everything on your hard drive or at least you know a listing of everything on your hard drive and metadata reflected it the only way we know that it's not that is because they were stupid enough to send it back plain text. So, I mean, it's, it's yay, they were, they, yay, they screwed up, and we were able to find out that they didn't, you know, invade our privacy too much. <laughs> and I had this conversation on Facebook with some folks, and, you know, they're, 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 they're concerned, they're, 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 the argument, and I've seen this on, online as well, the argument is that, look, look it's just it's just ebooks. It's just what I'm reading. I don't I don't care if Adobe knows what I'm reading on any system. I mean, they can come home and check my library, blah, 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 blah. But the, the thing is that it, it's, there's a couple of things, with problems with that. One, it's not just about individuals. This software gets used in institutions. This software gets used in, in, in other places where, where privacy is a much bigger concern. I mean, a digital edition. if I understand right, Digital Editions 4 gets used in libraries and libraries are pretty locked down when it comes to, to privacy issues and privacy concerns so that's that's I mean on one hand it's, it's a legal concern for, from for Adobe but on the big on another hand you know that it's it's those kinds of things and, and then and just in general they don't have a right to know what I'm reading so it's it's it that's the other part of it and then then again the other the other half of that is the argument for open source software. Had they had they not done the boneheaded move of sending this plain text, we would never know what they're sending home. And we'd never be able to, to really easily inspect that data if it were encrypted. But if, 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 the, if their software were open source, we'd know exactly what, you know, the source would be open to the public. People could view it and say, hey, this, this little line of code here is sending shit back to Adobe and, tra- and you know scanning my entire hard drive. That's a problem. From 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 that end, it's it's a it's a pretty compelling argument to use open source, uh, not just for the e-reader stuff, but look, I mean, all of Adobe's software is, is on the creative suite stuff. All of that stuff's on on, on the uh, Adobe Cloud, right? That software that constantly dials home, if only for registration purposes. But you know, if they're doing this with their e-reader software, then why wouldn't they necessarily be doing that with their creative suite and then again the same argument well i don't care if they they know what i'm doing with my digital you know my digital finger painting but again it's not just about individuals it's also about institutions create their their creative suite software gets used in places where security is a pretty big deal pretty big concern i mean when i say security i'm talking like kind of need government clearance kind of security computers that that can't connect to the internet for security purposes and and you know I've already run into uh system administrators and IT people who, who have run into the headache with the Adobe crowd, uh, Adobe crowd with the Adobe cloud because for that precise reason because they they're they need that software on computers that don't have network access and and <laughs> yeah so I, I I also I find this to be a pretty compelling argument for using open source tools because one there are on the creative side of creative applications most of them, I don't think any of them that I know of off the top of my head, dial home and send back any kind of metadata over the web or any kind of data at all. None of them that I know of do that but to a, to a greater point if they did do that because they're open source we'd know what they're sending we'd know what is being, what's being looked for and what's being sent back if we had a problem with it, we could patch it, fork it, and, and clean that shit out of there. And so, yeah, yeah. There's, I think this, that this is makes open source a, a compelling argument again because had they encrypted what they sent with Digital Editions for, they'd they could have sent anything and we'd never know. And that's, I think that's a problem. Uh, now, of course, Adobe's since since this broke earlier this week, Adobe is as made a press release and said that they were uh what was the exact wording something along the lines of the they were they were looking for e-e-ebooks e- on your hard drive to to ensure compliance with publisher licensing or, or some shit which uh, that's that's my response. We're going to go with the 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 angry Frankenstein response. Uh. I don't buy it and I don't like it. And even if it's true, it's dumb. <laughs> and they, they really didn't have a comment when it came to sending it back plain text. Uh, likely that'll be, hopefully they'll, they'll hopefully they, 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 they just don't do it. But assuming that they continue to do it, hopefully they, they at least encrypt the information to put, you know, protect the privacy of, of the people who use their software. So yeah, that, that was a you know, that was a pretty big deal of a story. I figured I'd share that out. There's that. Now, on to stuff that's a little bit more fun and, and personal, but still newsy. Still newsy. Uh, one of them is I made a patch. Yay! <laughs> An itty-bitty, like, small, dinky-ass patch. But a patch, nonetheless, for Blender. As I mentioned in the last episode, I'm I'm writing the third edition of Blender for Dummies, and uh, as I'm writing that, I I I, know, <laughs> I noticed that the uh, if you go into user preferences and go to the add-ons section, take a good close look at the button the, the button that you click. It doesn't necessarily it doesn't really say add-ons. It says add-ons. It's they it's spell they spell it a d d o n s, as opposed to the you know the more proper spelling which would be a d d hyphen o n s, and so. I ran into this actually on the last edition of the book where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to write with you know, b- proper English, where I would write it as ADD-ONS, but since the interface refers to it as... Well, I would write it as, as add-ons, and, but the interface refers to them as, as add-ons, which is a fun pronunciation, wrong though it is. And so there's, there's, there's I had problems keeping the terminology consistent in the book because it's not a correct spelling in the interface, and it never really got fixed since the uh, since then. So I, I I want I want my my book to be consistent with the interface, and I would like the interface to have proper spelling. So therefore, I wrote a nitty-bitty patch that changes all user-facing elements of the Blender interface that refer to add-ons. It refers to them as add-ons with a hyphen, as opposed to addons with no hyphen. And so that patch is currently in the tracker. Hopefully, it gets accepted and pushed into master before Blender for Dummies 3rd Edition comes out. Because if that happens, then everything will be nice and consistent and happy. So, if you happen to be a Blender developer listening to this, please approve my patch. (laughs) And commit it, please. Uh, It's just a dinky patch, but... It'll make my life happier, and that's again, that that is a a fantastic example of something we can do in the open source world that you can't do in the closed source world. I saw no, this is a small example, an itty bitty example, but I saw a bug. Bug just happened to be bad spelling, <laughs> and I was able to. It's not very difficult to search through the search through code and make the changes to correct the spelling, and submit a patch. and that gets submitted, and hopefully, assuming there's no major objections to it, that gets accepted and done, right? I can't submit patches to closed source software because I don't have the source. So I think that's a, a you know, at the very least, it's a very cool thing. I, for instance, and the version of Blender that I work with at home now—it spells add-ons perfectly fine, so I can go ahead and take screenshots and and also just be very happy with the fact that I have Blender now with proper spelling <laughs> uh, as as what I work with on the day to day, and hopefully that becomes something for 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 other people. So yeah, it's 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 just cool that I can make changes to the software, however however minor and. If I if I find them helpful, I can I can share them with everyone else. So yeah, there we go. That's fun. Last little bit of I want to say personal news is I'm giving a workshop next week. So on the 16th of October, that's a Thursday, which is next week. I'm giving a workshop in just north of Atlanta. It's a workshop on social media for authors and creatives. I well, uh, short version of this story is. Basically, what it turns out is that, that I went to a, I, 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 I try to attend various meetups about creating, you know, the creative media that I'm interested in and, you know, meet up with people or, or connect with people in, in meet space. So I, I go to uh, groups on, on film and screenwriting and animation and 3D graphics and illustration and, uh, and writing and this was a, a writing group that I went to get went, and went to, I decided to go check out and this one geared, is geared mostly towards like marketing and, and the business side of, of writing and um, in the course of it I, I basically got I, I opened my big mouth because apparently I, I tend to do that <laughs> uh, and, and we'll say I, I, I gave the see the, this is a topic for for a slightly different podcast, but there, there's there's an advantage to the reason why I go to these 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 meetings and stuff like that is, is there's, a, there's an inherent advantage to, uh, to to connecting with people in meet space. There's there's something about face to face, eye to eye uh, interaction that that can't be can't be duplicated easily anywhere. Usually, what happens in the course of this is I I talk to people and and in the course of talking to them I I somehow give the impression that I know what it is I'm talking about (laughs) which to be fair to myself I I do generally try to talk about things only when I know something about them it only seems right I don't want to be talking out of my ass about shit I don't know anything about so in the course of this conversation it, it seems that I know things about uh, as a as a side effect of a long stretch of of being self-employed and in general living on the internet for well over a decade Whew, well over a decade that's frightening in any case the that I know something about being on the internet and social media and and those sort of things and and that that information was some something people would want to learn something about so yeah I got volunteered to give a workshop. Uh, so yeah, if you're in the northern Atlanta area, or if you're in the Atlanta area at all, and you've got an interest in, in social media, especially as it pertains to finding an audience for your creative work, then come on out. It's at a, it's at a McAllister's Deli uh, in, in Roswell. And uh, it'll be somewhat informal, but full of information. And and yeah, come hang out and, and do the workshop thing. So yeah, that's that's new stuff. That means I can stop right now and take a cup of coffee. Hold on. Now on to the main thrust of this episode, and that is selling things in the open source world. I've been asked specifically by by a couple people online and by the way thank you for giving me feedback I, I really really appreciate it because also that gives me something that, that gives me ideas of things to talk about and so this is a, a perfect example of that I was asked what my opinions were towards the blender market the blender market in case you don't know is a website that's set up by CG cookie for blender users to sell their stuff to other blender users and by stuff i mean add-ons or texture packs or model models or you know an actual thing they've created not it's not a service it's not like for selling your services that's more of the blender network kind of thing but it's it's for selling an actual product to other blender users uh and and quite often this gets used for uh, not like I said, not just for creative output, but it also gets used a lot for extensions and add-ons for Blender. And there's a lot of hemming and hawing about it when, when the market first came out. It's a real sort of stop playing in my sandbox kind of attitude that a handful of people have as it pertains to the Blender market. And, and there there are there are two things inevitably, and this but again this goes with with Actually, let me back up. No, I'm not gonna back up. There, there are two things that that when a topic like this comes up, not just when in, in the Blender community, but in open source communities in general, this topic comes up, and there are two things that are that are, are normally brought up. You have one class of people who are upset that there are non-zero-dollar things happening in their free play uh, sandbox. So it's it's you know, Blender's free or you know, my software's That I get is free. Why should I have to pay for this other little uh, add-on or or it all should be free? And you're ruining the culture of of blah 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 blah. So you have that angle, and you have the simultaneous angle of other people who are looking at it from a business perspective, and they're saying, well, well, if if as as with the Blender market, all the add-ons. And I'll specifically speak about this mostly towards add-ons. I'm not going to talk much about about. Uh, assets that people are selling on on there because it, it's it's relevant, but but most people's complaints relate specifically to add-ons and, and software extensions, and and the from a business standpoint, the the question is well, these add-ons have to be released under a a free license. Specifically, in the case of Blender, it has to be th- these these add-ons have to be GPL, which means that. You know, and so they're like, well, how can anybody make any money off of this when someone else is going to just take the... Uh, when anybody could, anybody who who gets the, who buys the code can turn around and, and fork it or post it on GitHub or just share it outright with anybody. I mean, how, how can you make any money doing this? Those are the two things that people bring up. The, every, the, 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 on the one hand, you have the people saying, everything should be zero dollars and then on the other hand you have people saying well how are you going to make any money with this because you have to use an open source license (laughs) and I think both of those arguments are flawed and will ultimately be proven and have been proven in in other open source communities to be false Or, or at the very least not a big deal so and, and I, I, I couch this all with, within this perspective. I like, when it comes to free software and proprietary software, I, I, I like to think of it as, as almost a software or software license entropy. What I mean by that is as, as a software package becomes more popular, I don't care if it's closed source or open source, as that as a package becomes more popular, it's going to attract development from the other sphere. So if it's a closed package, ultimately as it gets, becomes more popular, it's going to attract open source development, and vice versa. As a open source project becomes more and more viable and more and more popular, people are going to be interested in doing closed source, or at least well, they're going to be interested in doing closed source development for it. But also, but more more to this point, they're going to be interested in doing Getting paid to do development for the open source tool, right? That's that's a natural. I mean, it's a natural course of things. I mean, on the, on if you want examples, in the closed source world, in the proprietary world, we're starting starting to see open source libraries get used more and more. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's where you have OpenEXR. That's where you have Alembic. That's where you have OpenSubdiv. Those formats and those libraries are are finding their way into closed source packages and people are writing add-ons and plugins for for closed programs that are that are under permissive open source licenses so i mean that's an example there and on the flip side we obviously have the case of the blender market but also we have less young examples such as the yeah there's not an explicit market for it that i know of but the 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 plugins community for wordpress it both of those i mean you have and, then, and even in Blender, you, you have Benjamin Tulpit trying to, who's in the process of working on a, we'll say, a closed source friendly API, uh, API wrapper, C-level C API wrapper for for Blender, so that someone could write actual closed source plugins for for Blender that are that take advantage of Blender see and those sort of things so that's that's the perspective that i'm coming at coming at with this and the reason why now now let me let me dissect the 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 two things the two issues the two complaints that that are brought up the first one is is a pretty easy one and that is the the people who think that everything should be zero dollars when it comes to open source software and any of the extensions and add-ons and assets that people produce for it and my perspective on that is uh, no that that's no (laughs) because one because because it's a natural thing it's 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 software entropy right people want to people want to be able to make a living or at least make some income for the efforts that they go into using an open source tool and so you know on the on the artist side of it if i'm if i'm making assets if i'm making textures if i'm making 3d models if i'm making animations i kind of want to sell those or sell my service of creating those but ultimately sell those animations sell those those illustrations sell the um those assets so that I can continue to make more of them and you know and do that sort of thing so I can continue doing what I enjoy and so with that argument in mind why wouldn't the same argument hold true for someone who's writing extensions for an open source tool right I mean somebody who's who's putting the effort into to not not everybody could be hired by the blender foundation to work on blender source code full-time and, 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 go with that. So for that reason, <laughs> uh, if, if you want to have a secondary income or ultimately maybe try to make it your primary income of, of creating add-ons and, and extensions for open source software, then, then yeah, you, you sh- there's nothing wrong with charging for that. There's nothing wrong for, with, with charging money for it. So if, if you think that some, that, and especially in the case of Blender, and I think even in WordPress, those those plugins are and those add-ons are under a GPL under GPL anyway. Most of the, a lot of the people are actively developing them on GitHub. You could get it for free already, but you could um, also pay for it. So the open source spirit's being adhered to in terms of permissive licensing and or and yeah, in yeah in terms of the licensing of it and people are charging money for 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 their time and again there's nothing wrong with it and if you think there is something wrong with it i i would su- suggest that you pull your head out of your ass is that is that rude is that a, a a too abrasive way of saying that probably but yeah i mean it's 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 not a big deal it doesn't change blender itself and it doesn't change the culture around blender uh, in, in a in a negative way at least We're really in, in my opinion it doesn't really change it at all because again if, if if you're taking the argument that add-ons for blender and add on plugins and extensions for open source tools should also be zero dollars free then you should probably also take the argument that any creative output for for these creative tools should be under you know you shouldn't be charged for you shouldn't charge money for them which again i, I think is a, is, a, is a ludicrous stance now for the other as for the viability of of selling a product that is open source right that that is required to be again in the case of blender add-ons just because of the way the the plug-in structure works and, and those sort of things those add-ons have to be tpl they have to be under that license. And so the question is to the viability, how can I make money doing that? The counterexample, the best counterexample of that is gonna be WordPress. You know, there's a very vibrant plugin community there and people are making a living writing these open source, writing these, these plugins that I have to double check the WordPress licensing, but I'm reasonably sure those those plugins have to be under a an open source license and there again there are people who are are making their careers or or make make, you know they're making a professional living writing and maintaining these plugins and i think the same thing can happen on the blender side of things and a big big reason for is that there's more value that's it's not just the tool it's not just the plugin there's more value there and part of it's because blender specifically but a lot of open source tools in general especially on the creative side they have very fast development timelines and time frames blender gets a new release every two damn months two months another release and usually in that release there's some kind of subtle some of them are less subtle but there's some kind of subtle api change that may or may not break an add-on so there's there's an inherent value and making sure somebody maintains the add-on and ensures that it works with whatever the current version of Blender is. Or again, any of the any tool that you're any of the creative tools that they're that you're writing for. It's it's worth paying somebody. There's value there. And making sure that they keep up with Blender development and that their plug-in, their add-on, always works with it. And that's I, I don't know about you, but that's worth paying for and actually as as we're seeing on the on, on the Blender market itself now, with add-ons like the Motion Tools add-on that was released last week. And by the way, if you haven't seen this thing, that holy shit, that's awesome. Uh, it, it's a it's a node-based animation uh, add-on for for doing like motion graphics and, and animated node craziness. It's it's really freaking sweet. You should check it out. Uh, there's uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But the the the, the demo for that has a lot of like really cool things built into it and bear in mind, I'm seeing all of this as someone who's written the add-ons and released them for free so it's it's, it's not like I'm going to stop writing any of the add-ons that I do especially the smaller ones and releasing them for free I mean, I, if I find them useful and, and, and whatnot, not then, then yeah, I'm going to just develop them and put them out there it's, it's not preventing me from releasing mine for free if I want to and, and I mean, there's, there's some enticement there, but you know, I, I honestly don't think it's, it's, I don't think the add-ons that I write, well, they, they help me on a product, on a productivity standpoint, I, I don't think they're, they're, they, they merit being purchased necessarily. And, and the add-ons that are going on to the, the, the blender market are, they're extensive tools. The, the motion tools add-on, the Animat add-on that, that matt heimlich is working on that i talked about last week contours and the was it, poly strips add-ons that that are coming from cg cookie for for retopology i mean those are some pretty there's a lot of code involved in those and making sure that they continue to work with blender uh, it, it's worth throwing some cash their way to get that to 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 ensure that and I think I'm not the only person that thinks that because, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say that people are making, making their, their soul living off of these add-ons yet, but you know, it's, it's probably not a, a an insubstantial supplementary income for them. Yeah, I mean, at the very least gas money <laughs> and, and for some people that's enough, but again, the butter market has only been around f- for a handful of months, right? They got they got they got launched this year. The WordPress sort of uh, I'm not that I'm a, They've got a lot of different websites for, it, but there's not like the, the the ecosystem for WordPress plugins that that's been around for a long time now, a really long time, and because it's been around long enough yet yeah, now there there are people who are who are you know part of making their living is is producing and maintaining these these plugins and i'm sure that that's going to happen on on the blender side I mean, and i'm positive it can happen for other open source tools as well that have ecosystems for their their add-ons or extensions or whatever the that particular program's gonna, plugins whatever they're going to call them yeah so uh, we're, we're, getting, we're relating to the question of of whether or not it's viable business-wise to write an add-on that that to, to sell something that has to be released on an open source license yes it makes sense and especially it makes sense when your your extension has to work with a a target that moves as quickly as blender does with 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 releases as quickly as 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 often as it does so yeah no it's 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 entirely viable and entirely doable and i think ultimately i'm going to be i'm going to be proven right if if i were such a person to to make predictions that would be that would be my prediction so yeah it's it's there's a lot of words i just said to say a it's not a big deal for people to sell stuff, and B, it's, it's, it makes, it can and does make sense business-wise for them to sell stuff that's, that's not proprietary, that's not closed source. And while I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see what Benjamin Tulpit does with his, uh, closed source friendly API that he's developing. You know I, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm gonna have the same hesitation with using proprietary plugins like what I do with any proprietary software as I explained on, on the Adobe story earlier but that doesn't mean again software entropy it's a natural process these things filter in and come in naturally the fact that people want to write closed source code for an open source tool perfectly natural and and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And, and some people will 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 use it, use these tools, and some people won't. And I think that's a good thing. I don't, I don't think it's a, a huge problem. Now, and, and it's not even a problem, again, there's no, nothing ethically wrong with selling things as it relates to, to, to... Hell, you could repackage Blender or GIMP or Inkscape, and actually it's been done with all three of them. You could repackage that and sell that as it is to somebody, or sell them as a bundle—you know, three for the price of one. <laughs> uh You could do that, and there's nothing ethically or legally wrong with that. And like, where a lot, where a lot of people have gotten, the people who have tried doing this, where they've gotten and they've gotten into trouble. I'm gonna again, trouble being the the, the air quotes version of trouble. They've they've gotten blowback i have gotten blowback again for some of the people that the don't don't try to give me 0 um, non non zero dollar stuff but that's an unfounded thing the real problem is that people who have been trying to repackage and and sell open source tools is that a they haven't been adhering to the whatever free software license is being used in this case probably the in most cases it's the GPL so they're they're not releasing the source code with whatever they sell. And kind of a bigger deal, when they're marketing their 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 repackage, their rebrand of these open source tools, they're using artwork from artists that they don't have the rights to use that artwork. Like they'll they'll just pull images from the web or from the Blender website or the GIMP website. And use those to try to sell their repackaging. And the problem with that is that those images, those animations, they're not necessarily released under a permissive license. And even if they are released under a permissive license, nine times out of ten, it's an attribution license. So you at least have to say who made the damn thing. And so these, you know, the the classic example is is, uh, 3D Magics. It's probably, they still have their website up. But yeah, they were trying to. Repackage Blender and sell it as 3D Magics. And you have to, I, I apparently have to say it with that voice. 3D Magics, <laughs> and but they were marketing it using artwork that they didn't have the right to use to market their their rebrand, and that's that is a problem because they, you know, that, that's that's a, a violation of the, the the artist's copyright to and, and, and usage allowances, and. Uh, but the, the the notion of actually just repackaging the software and selling it, eh, that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly all right. Especially if there's, you know, additional value or or additional code that goes into it. There is a, a repackaging of, of Blender that, I don't know if they're selling it yet or if the plan is to sell it, but it's being developed by, oh, I'm going to forget his name, Andrew Peel, I'll say. It's a uh, fluid... Fluid Designer and I'm, Man I hope I'm giving a name on that right Because I'm just pulling it off the top of my head But uh, by, by, by that, it, Oh man this, There's some really cool things going on in that And Andrew if you happen to be listening To this podcast Yeah your stuff is pretty sweet <laughs> And again there's nothing wrong With repackaging and, and selling it uh, if, if that were the desire As long as they adhere to the GPL No big deal So yeah That's my episode for the third time. And, uh, finished my commute. It's time to go to work. See you next week. Hello. You know, uh, you know that thing's liable to go off. Yeah, it could. Yes, sweetheart.